It is a privilege to be in the house of God. Amen. You may be seated. It is truly my privilege to welcome you today and to be able to share what God has placed in my heart for this moment. Um, and I want to talk to you on the subject, change your perspective. Change your perspective. How are you looking at things? How are you viewing whatever it, it is that is in front of you, whatever it is that you are facing, whatever it is that you're going through? How are you viewing it? How are you viewing life? Um, it, it's true. It's more than just a saying. Is the, is the glass half full or is it half empty? But more than, more than just a cliche saying from society, what I want to do today is unpack a biblical truth that if we can take it and apply it to our lives, it can radically change. It can radically change the way we approach God and the way we approach his promises. Is there anybody here that says, I, I want everything that he has for me? I, I don't want one thing less. And, and can I tell you that there's people in life that will settle and that will compromise. There's people in this life that will say, you know what, this is good enough for me. You, you see it when they're about to enter the promised land that we'll talk about here. There was two and a half tribes, Reuben, Gad, and half a tribe of Manassas that said, you know what, yeah, there's something better on the other side, but this is good enough for me. And there's people in this life that say, this is good enough for me. I, I'm okay with being half blessed. Or I'm okay with being half whole. And, and I'm just going to hide the rest of, of the fragmented parts of my life. But I want to challenge you today with God's word that each and every one of us would rise to the occasion and say, you know what, God, I'm going to take you at your word. Amen? I'm going to take you at your word. So if you'll just give me just a few moments of your time, we're going to jump right in. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. I thank you, God, that there is nobody in this place. That, is, that can escape the power of your word. I thank you that your word is quick and it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. I thank you that your word never returns void, but can find us and can locate us right where we're at. God, that we would take you at your word, that we would embrace all that you have for us today in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Numbers chapter 13 and verses 31 and 33 say this, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they explored. We got to be careful who speaks into our lives. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came, uh, come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers. Notice that, that key word. They're talking to themselves. We seemed like grasshoppers. Did anybody tell them that? Absolutely not. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And because they identified that first, notice how their mindset, and we looked the same to them. 
We looked like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. Brothers and sisters, the Bible uses many different adjectives to describe our great God. Through the Bible, we see the nature and we see the character of God. We understand him to be a God of grace, amen, that gives us what we don't deserve. I'm grateful for grace this morning. Not only that, but the Bible depicts him as a God of mercy. A God of mercy that doesn't give us what we do deserve. The Bible reveals him to be a God of love. And and when we understand that what the word here is in the original text, the the God of love, it's not talking about eros, which is a romantic love. It's not talking about phileos, which is a brotherly love. It's not even talking about storge, which is a type of love that you feel for your family members. No, it talks, it, it talks in this sense about the, the word agape, where it's not a feeling, but it is a choice. It is a decision that, that one makes. He is a God of love that, and this type of love says that I will always seek the highest good for your life, regardless of who you are to me. He will always seek the highest good for your life, regardless of who we are to him. That means that he, I will always do what's in your best interest, not because of what you do, but because of who I am. That is a God of love. But there is another description that I think is important that is often overlooked because, yes, he is a God of grace, he is a God of mercy, he is a God of love, but he's also a God of principles. He is a God of principles. And when I look at the word principles, what it means is it means rules of operation, the way he operates. And when I look at rules of operation, it makes some outcomes more likely and sometimes even predictable just based off of being a principle. What does that mean? Well, the Bible talks about sowing and reaping. What we put into the ground will ultimately get out of the ground. It's a principle. The Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. It's a principle. you got to go up. To go, to, you got to go down to go up. The principle of giving and receiving, that as we give, it shall be given unto us. The principle of if you love your life, you'll lose it. And if you lose your life, you'll, you'll find it. It is a principle because he is a God of principles. And the, there's one principle that I want to share with you this morning uh, briefly that is often overlooked, and it is the, known as the principle of exception, the principle of exception. And this principle tells us that what happens to them does not determine and dictate what happens to me. What happens to one does not determine and dictate what happens 
to me. This is not a declaration of superiority. This is not a declaration of arrogance. No, it is a declaration of distinction. It is not saying that I am better than them. It is saying I am different than. I'm not better than them. I'm different than them. And when I tell you that God is a God of exception, he is a rule breaker. Amen. He is a rule breaker. It, it, it is a deviation, an anomaly. It is something that, that stands out. It is a dis distinction. It is something that is not supposed to, to happen. It is when you have an experience and you're like, this, this shouldn't be taking place in, in my life. When God makes something happen that couldn't happen, that wouldn't happen, that shouldn't have happened uh, unless he made it happen. Is there anyone here that knows what I'm talking about? That when you look at your own life and you look at the seasons and you look at the times and you look at the instances and the circumstances and you look at everything that you've been through and you say, I really shouldn't be here today, but God made an exception. God opened the door. God made a way. God lifted me up. He restored my soul. He encouraged me. He changed me. He revived me. He revitalized me. I shouldn't be here today, but I am a, a, a witness that God is a God of exception. There's somebody in this house that, that knows what I'm talking about, that every, all the odds were stacked against you, but seemingly out of nowhere, God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to lift you up. Some of you in this place, people counted you out. Some people in this place uh, have been recipients of words that were spoken over your life that said, you'll never be better, and you'll never overcome that habit, and you'll never get out of that addiction, but look Look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me just in time. I'm going to praise his name. When God made an exception where he got you out of something that you wouldn't have gotten out of unless he stepped in the way he did like he did when he did. When he opened a door for you. Because he is a God of exceptions. And the Bible I would submit to you today is full of this. When we see that the Bible is inundated in reality of examples where God made an exception. I'll start with the character, our main character from last week. Women in their 90s can't have a baby but with Sarah God made an exception men don't usually stand at the edge of a sea called the Red Sea with a staff in their hand and just extend it and all of a sudden a Red Sea a sea opens up in two but with Moses God made an exception. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when I look at the statistics, when I look at science, can't be thrown into a fiery furnace and walk out not even smelling like smoke. Hallelujah. But with these Hebrew boys, God made an exception. Men can't be thrown into a, a den full of lions 
and come out of that den unharmed. But with Daniel, God made an exception. Young men usually don't pick up a sling and put a rock in it and defeat a giant that is over nine feet tall. But with David, God made an exception. And men don't usually die on a cross on Friday and stay in the grave all weekend long. But early Sunday morning, early Sunday morning, he got up because with Jesus, God made an exception. And I don't know if there's anybody in this house today that you're facing trouble on the right and trouble on the left and everything is stacked up against you and the statistics say you can't make it, but you're saying, God, I believe that you're greater. I believe that you're stronger. I believe that you're mightier. I believe that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I just need you to step into my life and make an exception. He's a God of exceptions. Because can I tell you one more time that if God can do it for Sarah, that if God can do it for Moses, that if God could do it for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if God could do it for Daniel, if God could do it for David, if it can... God can do it for you. He is still able. So when I read the Bible, and I understand the words therein, and the words used to describe us, his people, his children, when I see the words, the adjectives that are used, I, can I tell you that normal is not one of them. The adjectives that the Bible uses to describe us, what God is communicating to us, his people, are not normal, but they're adjectives like you are the salt of the earth. You give the world, you give the earth flavor. You are the light of the world. You don't light a candle to hide it. No, you are the light of the world. The Bible talks about us being the apple of his eye. And David says, what is man that you're mindful of him? And that you should visit him. You've made him just a little bit lower than the angels. So when I, when I look at the Bible, it tells me that I am more than a conqueror through him that loved us. When, when I look at the Bible, it tells me that, that we are a royal priesthood. That we are a peculiar people. That we have been called out of darkness and we have been brought in to his marvelous light. So when I look at the Bible, the Bible tells us that we are anointed that we are appointed, that we are predestined, that we are selected, that we are protected, uh, that we are the head and that we are not the tail, that we are above and we're not beneath, that we are blessed and we're not cursed. That's who God says we are. So throughout Scripture, God tells us repeatedly time and time again who we are. But can I tell you that not everyone looks at the mirror of God's word as James describes it and walks away saying, that's who I am. 
Throughout Scripture, God is reminding us, and what I can know about God is that the actions of God are always intentional. And he doesn't do something just for the sake of doing it, but he is always intentional. He always is. When he's doing something, he's intentional. And when he's not doing something, according to my eyesight, he's doing something. He is intentional. This means that I should thank him at all times. That's why Paul said, in everything, give thanks. It doesn't say for everything, in everything. In the high times, in the low times, I ought to give him thanks. Because sometimes, can I tell you that we're asking God to, to show up and to do something. And while God is silent, he is still working. He is still working. He is still working. And this means that I ought to approach it in a different, from a different perspective. When he's doing something in my eyes, he's intentional. And when he's not, he's still intentional. So if his actions are intentional, the question comes up, then, then why is the Bible repeatedly telling us who we are? Time and time again, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, because he tells us so many different ways and in so many different occasions. And often in the Bible, God introduces people to a version of themselves that they yet have not even met. When, when the Bible called David a man after God's own heart, David was just a boy, but yet the Bible had predestined him. God was predestined, preparing him for what he was going to do. The Bible tells us of, of this incredible story named Gideon. I, I love the story of Gideon. And, and uh, the Bible tells us that he is threshing wheat where there should be pressing wine. And, and the Bible lets us know that he is hiding. He is in a place of obscurity trying to get away because an army is attacking and is, is, uh, a, an attack is inevitable. But yet in a place of hiding, you know what? God, God looks at this man named Gideon and says, Get up, uh, you mighty man, you mighty warrior. You mighty warrior, get up and go with the strength that you have. Gideon, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to make sense because Gideon is fearful. Gideon is in one of the lowest moments of his life. And yet God shows up to the scene and says, guess what, Gideon? You are a mighty warrior. Can I tell you that he sees us so much different than sometimes we see ourselves? So God shows up and calls him something opposite of his behavior. And this makes sense because when I look at the book of Proverbs, Solomon writes this, that as a man or woman thinks in their heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so because I will always behave in a way that is consistent with the way I see myself. Can I say it to this side? I will always behave in a way that is consistent with how I see myself. So what I understand is that God is calling us and, and reminding us of our position in him. 
in our stature of him to be able to, to allow us to experience all that he has for us. Because if I can embrace what he truly thinks of me, that is how I'll behave. That is how I will carry myself. That is how I will live. So God is constantly telling us and reminding us because he wants what he thinks of me to override how I think of myself. He wants you to think of and to see yourself the way he sees you to override how you see yourself. So that the way that I behave is always aligned with what he thinks of me and not what I think of myself. So that the way I behave would always be consistent with the way he thinks of me and not what I think of myself. Are you following me this morning? So that the way I believe and I live is aligned with the way he sees me. Because when the enemy of our souls can't, can't convince us to change our view of God. Because I've yet to find someone that would argue his greatness and his ability. And his power and his might. So when the enemy can't get you and I to change the way we see God, he'll step in and try to get us to change how we see ourselves. So if you can't change your mind about God, he'll settle on getting you and I to think less than what we truly are in his eyes. Constantly, the voices in our head that, that remind us of who we used to be. The voices in our head that remind us of what we did last night. The voices in our head that are just trying to discourage us because if I can keep my mind on who God is and know that he is almighty and all-powerful and omniscient and omnipresent. If I know that, then he's going to try to change and rewire my brain on how I see myself. Because can I tell you this, how far I go and how much I grow is not just determined about what I think about God, but it is equally impacted about how I think about myself. Can I say that one more time? How far I go and how much I grow is not just dependent on what I think about God, but it is equally impacted on how I see myself. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I'll always be a failure. 
I'll always be a victim. I'll always stay stuck in this cycle of not being able to, to have a relationships with those around me because of the walls that I have up. It, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Can I tell you, I've come this, this morning to cancel the lies that have been spoken over your life. You are not a victim. You are a victor. You are not just, you, you are a new creature in Christ. So how are you seeing yourself? How are you seeing yourself this morning? Because can I tell you that the enemy doesn't only want us to have an attitude of arrogance. Because arrogance, the Bible cautions us. He, he resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. That pride, uh, the, that pride comes before the fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. He doesn't only just want us to, to be arrogant. But he wants us also to think less of ourselves. So many times I have had conversations with people that say, I would love to get involved and I would love to serve and I would love to do more. But they are battling deep down on the inside with an attitude of inadequacy. Because the same enemy who wants us to think too highly of ourselves is the same enemy who wants us to think too low of ourselves. One Christian author said it this way, arrogance doesn't come from you knowing who you are and what you have. Arrogance comes when you forget who gave it to you. So the enemy is at work in inadequacy. It's too it's so much more than low self-esteem that just because you're not thinking of, of low, or you may, you, may you may say this morning, I'm not thinking low about myself. It, just, it also doesn't mean that you're thinking right about yourself. Just because you're not thinking low of yourself doesn't mean you're thinking right about yourself. And this is evident in the book of Numbers. This is evident in the book of Numbers. This initiated an egg, and, and in the book of Exodus when, when God raises the man that we know as Moses to go and take his people out of bondage. They've been there for 400 years. And I, when I look at the book of Exodus and I understand that the, that the word Exodus, it means exit. God provided an exit out of bondage. Look what Exodus 13, 17 through 18 says. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them. On the road through the Philistine country. No, they, they thought that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. He always knows what he's doing. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up to Egypt ready for battle. God provided an exit out of bondage. And if God is the God of exits, that means we're never trapped. 
That means we're never trapped. You may feel stuck right now in a season, but can I tell you, he is a God of exits. Even if it doesn't look like there is a way out, God can make an exit today. Maybe right now you feel trapped and you feel boxed in by circumstances and you feel like you have no options at all. Can I tell you that God can create a way where there is no way? God leads his people out of Egypt leading them through this man that we know as, as Moses. And he doesn't just talk about leading them out. So it's not just God's will for you to be out of sin, but he calls you out to lead you in. He called them out to take them into this land that we know as Canaan, a fertile land. And they're getting ready to occupy the land that God is going to give them. And Moses gathers some men and he sends them on a recon mission. Sends out these 12 spies. And every Everything that God said was there in that land was there, but God left out some details. And isn't that just like God sometimes he leaves out details? They're giants in the land. And what I understand through this is that their promise is occupied with opposition. Could it be today that your promise is occupied with opposition. Opposition of doubt. Opposition of uncertainty. Well, I just don't know. If he wants it for me and for the Israelites, the only way to embrace the promise is to overthrow the opposition. And what do we do when, when, when our promise is occupied with opposition, with the resistance? And for the people of Israel, it was the same, it's the same for us as it was for them. The only way for them to take, to take what was fully theirs was to overthrow the giants that were in that land. What stands in your way this morning? What stands, what is opposing your promise? What is opposing, what stands in between you and where God wants you to be? Those that have accepted Jesus, the believer who follow the principles of Jesus, the Bible tells us that in him... That we can experience a peace, the Bible says, that surpasses, that goes beyond all understanding. But how many people in this place know that sometimes it's a battle to get it? That while peace is mine, a peace that confuses you, you know, it is an incredible thing to go through some trials, but to know that God is in control and to know that there is a peace that guards my heart and my mind that while people look around and say, how, how have you not gone crazy? How have you not just totally broken down? And you say, I don't know, I should be in that condition, but because there is a peace that guards your heart and guards your mind, it is available to us as believers that allows us to be concerned but not consumed. I'm concerned, but I'm not consumed. But sometimes you have to fight through the unsettledness on, deep down on the inside. 
So the people of Israel, they saw the giants. And instead of just seeing the giant opposition, instead of just seeing what was in front of them, this is, this is the detrimental part. This is the sad part of the story. They said, the opposition is too big to embrace that promise. The opposition is too big to embrace that promise. And look, this is what happened. So they said, we're not even going to try. Maybe God does have something greater for me. But it's just too much of a struggle to reach it. Maybe God does want my, my mind to be healed and my heart to be whole. Maybe, but it just, it's too much of a struggle. So here they are on the verge of a life that God has ordained for them. And they're unwilling to occupy it. Not because of the giants solely in the land, but because of the grasshopper that was in their head. Their grasshopper was too big. And in Numbers 13, they didn't step into all that God had for them. They didn't see God wrong. They didn't see themselves right. And as you embark your journey, there may be seasons where he is calling you to something greater in your life. Peace and joy and a love deep down on the inside. And that promise may be occupied with opposition. But because of who you see yourself as, you say, not me. Moses is called, but we understand he dealt with inadequacy. As God said, go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. He, he, I don't do that speaking part, God. I stutter. And, and God reminds him. And, God, and finally, God, God does a work through him. And God is reminding us. And every now and then, we hit seasons in our lives Where we need someone to, where we need to be reminded of who we are in him. And the question always comes up, will the grasshopper in me lose to the giant out there? If they could have changed their perspective, they could have embraced all God had for them. So what is holding you back today? What grasshopper are you struggling with on the inside? The Apostle Paul said that every scripture is profitable for teaching. So what can we learn from this? I'm going to share with you three things real quick. I'm drawing to a close. I mean that. Three areas that they need to change perspective. The first is this. Makeup. Who they were, the makeup that they had, the, the mindset that they had, the DNA, they said we were grasshoppers in their eyes. But watch, he said, but we were grasshoppers in our eyes also. 
Those people are bigger than us. And some of us in this place are saying, you know what? The struggle on the inside, the anxiety is bigger than us. The fear is bigger than me. The sickness is bigger than me. The fear that I feel in my, in my life is bigger than me. The devil is a liar. Yeah, they were not the same in size. But you know what was the difference? That God had already promised them the land. And God has promised peace. God has promised his grace. God has promised that his power. And they thought that their difference was a deficiency. God knows you. And you were built by design. You were crafted for your calling. God literally created you. Like nobody else on this earth with your purpose in mind. And can I tell you that you are not deficient. You are not inadequate. Your difference is not deficient. Your difference is truly your destiny. The thing that makes you feel awkward in one area is the very thing that makes you effective in another. David... David, why are you practicing with a slingshot? Don't you know that's not how we go to war? Pick up a sword. Pick up a javelin. People may have looked at him in an awkward, with, with awkward eyes until it was time to face a giant. And a sword wasn't going to cut it. And a shield and a javelin wasn't going to cut it. What people thought was awkward was actually really an asset. So I want to tell you, change your perspective in your makeup. You are fearfully and you're wonderfully made. There's nobody like you. Second thing is this, manna. In In the book of Exodus, the wilderness, the people wanted bread. And the Bible tells us that God made it rain manna. And manna means, you know, what is that? It was this white grainy substance that fell from the sky. And the awesome part about this is that God gave them provision in the form of a project. They wanted bread, but God gave them what they needed to make bread. God gave them everything they needed. And what does manna mean for you and for me? Because you're like, how does that apply? It represents a season in your life when you need bread and God gives you grain. It represents a season where you say, God, I don't know if I have enough to do what I'm supposed to do. God can take your not enough and turn it into more than enough. You're not enough. It's just enough for God to do what he wants to do in and through you. Just as you are today, you're not enough. It's just enough for him. And the last thing is this. They needed to change their perspective in in their makeup and who they were, their DNA. They needed to change their perspective in in manna, in, in God providing for them. 
God is so faithful that as they were in the wilderness for 40 years, they wore the same shoes for 40 years. I've never met anybody. If you are, I'd like to talk to you after church. But they've never, never changed shoes. God held it together. That's how faithful he is. Can we just like wrap our, our, our minds and our hearts around that, that when God calls us to do something, he is so faithful that he's going to do it perfectly? That he said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. you. You won't even have to change your shoes. Doesn't matter if you've been walking for 40 years. Number 14, miracles is the last one. Number 14, God is critiquing Israel. And I'm, and I'm paraphrasing. He says... How are you not convinced that I can do in your future when you look back at your past? How are you not convinced, God was telling the people, of what I can do in your future when you look back at everything I've done in your past? I've brought you out when you thought there wasn't a way out. The miracles that I've done... In the past, God was telling them, in essence, should produce faith for your future. Somehow, some way, God made a way where there was no way. And what God wants to remind us all in this place today is that what he has done in the past, every miracle, every door he's opened, every door he's closed, every way that he has provided for you on the inside, on the outside, with your family, with your marriage, everything that he has done, he has held you together through hell and high water. He has brought you to this point. And I want to tell you that what that ought to do is let us know that God has not brought me to this point to leave me now. No, no, that, that God has not brought me to this point to leave me now, but that he that called you, he is faithful to complete the work that he has begun in you. Can I pray for you this morning? Father, I thank you. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you that you allow us to come into this place today and to be able to have spiritual eye surgery. That you would allow us to change our perspective. That we would know that you are always at work. That we would know, God, that our position in you, that who you see in us is greater than what we see in ourselves. God, I thank you for everyone in this place today that may be struggling and you're going to show yourself strong. I thank you for everyone that has battled inadequacy, that has battled insecurity, that has battled low self-esteem, that you are coming today and inundating them with your presence, with your power God, to be able to raise them up and to be able to see ourselves the way we see, the way you see us. 
Lord, that let there be somebody that says, I want everything that you have for me. I want everything that you have for me and not one thing less. With every head bowed and every eye closed, in this place, maybe you're here today. And you say, I've, I've tried on my own and I haven't been able to figure it out. God is calling you. Your first step is to accept him as your Lord and Savior. And to be able to walk into the life that he has died to give you. A life of abundance. So he calls you today and you may be here and you're carrying shame and you're carrying guilt and you're carrying a weight that is too much for you. God says you can bring it to me. You can bring it to me. He says, I'll give you beauty for ashes. I'll give you a garment of praise for your cloak of heaviness. So if that's you today and you say, I want to give my life to Jesus and take my first step of the rest of my life, I want to invite you with every head bowed and every eye closed to raise your hand right where you're at just as a sign of surrender. I see you. You don't have to come up. I just want you to raise your hand. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray with you. So here at Impact City, we believe in community and that no one should do life alone. So I want to invite everyone at the side of my voice to pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for loving me when I was unlovable. I bring you my shame. I bring you my guilt. I bring you this burden. I lay it at your feet. I receive you in my heart. Let me live the life you died to give me. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we clap our hands and thank God for everyone who accepted him today? I'm going to invite you to stand. This is what we're going to do today. I'm trusting and I'm believing that each of us in this place are saying, Lord, help me change my perspective. Lord, help me change my perspective to see myself the way you see me. So, so the invitation this morning is not, you need God to help you change your perspective. The invitation this morning is, I just feel like making a general altar call this morning. We have people on a prayer team that are going to come and pray with you, put, put their hands on their shoulders, on your shoulders and pray over you and believe. But I want to invite, I just, I just feel like this is what I feel in my heart. That if you say, God, I want everything that you have for me. I want everything that you have for me. I, I want it Maybe you've struggled, your heart's been broken, and God, and, and you feel like the pieces will never come together again, but you say, God, can you heal me? God, can you restore? God, maybe you're struggling financially, and, and you say, God, can you open a door? He owns a cattle of a thousand hills. It doesn't matter what you need him to do, he can do it. So... In an attitude of worship,
you can stand, you can kneel. But if you say, you know what, God, God is tugging at your heart, and I want everything that you have for me, I'm going to invite you to come. Right now, Father, we come to you one more time. We believe you. We trust you. We take you at your word. You are not a man that you would lie. You're not the son of man that you would repent. If you said it, you will do it. If you've spoken it, you will perform it, and you will make it good. God, I right now, we come to you. God, we take you at your word, and we say, God, we want everything that you have for us. We take it right now. We say yes to your promises. We say yes to your goodness. We say yes to your love. We say yes to your grace. We say yes to your mercy. We say yes to your power. We say yes to your blessing right now, God. We just open our minds, our hearts. We, be, we receive it today. We receive it today. We believe it right now, God. We thank you for doing a work that only you can do. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.